Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You have value, and no one can take that away from you. But it's time for you to assert your value. It's honestly time for us to see the value in ourselves, see the value in our power, see the value in our collectivism, see the value in our cooperation with one another. Because as much as we divide ourselves, the country's still getting richer. White people are still looking at us as animals. They are doing everything in their power to keep us down. So why are we perpetuating our own oppression? Why are we feeding into it? Why are we wasting our power? If we are going to make a better future for our children, our grandchildren, we have to at least try. That's what those who were enslaved did. They could have been selfish. They could have said, this is what we're going to be. This is what we're always, this is what we are. This is what we're always going to be and given up but they didn't. They recognized that the future was dependent upon how they acted and they were motivated and they took initiative and they did it. 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 Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all-black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Welcome back, people. And I'm excited about today. Any, let me stop. Anytime we can shine a light on the brilliance that is being cultivated into a new set of magnificent, bold, fearless, innovative leaders for tomorrow, I personally get excited. Right? I'm with that. I, I mean, I get real excited, partially because my son is about to go off to college, but when I can talk to people who I know are going to change the way we do everyday normal shit today the world. and make it better tomorrow, I can't, it, can't, it don't get no better. It don't get no better. I'm with you. Listen, Wild that. Black, today it's about young black men the powerful minds being shaped by the leading institutions and positioned to lead us to a promising new future. Just let that sit. These are young brothers. Yeah. Coming out of Morehouse College here to speak their truth and represent the thinking 
of a dynamic university, and they're going to do it across all kinds of topics today. It's going to be completely different. We're doing this pardon the interruption style, meaning we're going to have six or seven topics that each of these brothers is going to talk about for eight to 10 minutes, and you're going to get all that. That's all they get. They get eight to 10 minutes to get their words in, mm. to have a conversation about these topics. I'm going to hit you with the topics real quick. Ready? HBCUs versus PWIs. Oh, you're going to give them the topics? Yeah. Oh. I, 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 want, I want the people to hear. I want the people to know. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> he tried to set up. Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Criminal justice reform and system impacted education. I stole that from Ilian. What was her name? I forgot that name out that fast. Sarah. Sarah, yes. Yeah. Last time. What does it mean to be a black man today? And are they valued by society? One for fun, best rapper alive or dead? The culture, what is it, and are we truly taking care of it? What's the state of the black working class today? And your thoughts about sexism and homophobia in the black community. We're going to talk a bunch of topics. Unfortunately, because today is prom and my wife has already texted me twice, <laughs> I won't be here for the whole conversation. But Art is holding it down today, and we got our monthly co-host back. Gonna be fun. Brother Winfield Murray is back in the building again. <laughs> and believe me, you're gonna, you're gonna hear more. We got more coming with him. So that's all I'm gonna say today. I hope this is a dynamic, amazing conversation. I don't hope. I already know. Because yep. I've been on Morehouse campus. I know what it feels like. I know what they're doing to young brothers down there. Wild Black Audience, get you some. All right. Artists, all you, bro. All right, let's get it. Let's get it. So, you know what, Wild Black? We're gonna introduce you to two outstanding, amazing Morehouse men. And I'm going to let them tell you a little bit about themselves before we start. And let me just say, let me just jump in. So these are two of my top students. I just got to put that out. Yeah. And, and my name is Winfield Murray. I'm a professor at Morehouse College, and I've brought two of my top students today. But I want you to go not just with your name and your class year, but tell us about who you are and some of the things that you have done. Right? Okay. You want to start, Trey? I was going to pass it off to the graduating senior. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you got to get up out of here. the way, huh? Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. Uh, so my name is Jeremiah Davis. I'm a graduating senior, philosophy major from Chicago, Illinois. Um, I attend Morehouse House College. Um, I'm also an author. I've currently, to this day, published uh, nine books. Um, you know, a little about me, I just love philosophy. I love writing. I love uh, touching on black issues. Um, I'm really passionate about that. And thanks to people like Dr. Murray, you know, I've reignited that passion uh, and been able to just experience things that I otherwise would not have at any other institution. And have you worked on uh, any type of legislative or policy issues? Uh, yes. Um, I've also worked with Common Good Atlanta on their proposal to expand um, education for incarcerated folks and um, kind of just build a bigger bridge between education and those who are in prison and who want to better their lives after they've um, matriculated back into society. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. That's a that's hard to follow up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me on here. Uh, my name is Trey Najmongo. I am a rising senior uh, at Morehouse College, political science major, sociology, criminal justice, double minor from the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Um, you know, aside from that, uh, I'm a passionate student. I've always been passionate about learning. And a future attorney, definitely attending law school after my matriculation through Morehouse and becoming a criminal defense attorney, uh, as well as a public defender. So with that, I've had the experience of being on the moot court team 
at Morehouse. Uh, I performed last semester for the first time and did did pretty did pretty well. <laughs> well, tell them your rank. Okay. Uh, I ended up finishing as the uh, third ranked uh, orator in the nation, in the country, in the country. Yes. So nice. Uh, definitely, definitely a wonderful experience. And uh, like um, Jeremiah said, just reinvigorated my passion for law, for creating change in the criminal justice quote unquote uh, justice system. And, you know, just doing my part to just make as much effectual change as I can. So Morehouse yeah. is one of those stepping stones in order to get to that goal. So, brother, you, re- you really did bring two of your brightest, huh? Didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So we got these two young gentlemen. We'll give them three questions. Two get you warmed up. Last one is our signature question that we ask every single wild black guest. Y'all ready? Yes, yep. sir. All right. First. First question. It's a real popular shoe brand that everybody black loves to wear. What is that? I would say Jordans. I would, Jordans. Say, I would say Jordans also. Bingo, bingo. Okay. That was an easy. That was a softball. Softball question. Okay. All right. Next question. You at a cookout. Mm-hmm. You're looking around. And it's always amazing food at the cookout. Always. Mm-hmm. What's your best or the, what's always good at the cookout? And then what's always horrible as it relates to dishes and food and all that? My family. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, i probably say the mac. The mac's always the best. Mac and cheese is always the best. For okay. me, for my family. Got you, so, got you. For me, the fish is always good. Deviled eggs is always bad. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Got you. Deviled eggs at the cookout, fish. The, always like bad. It. Maybe like potato salad. Potato Boom. salad probably I was going to say the same thing about potato salad. <laughs> My cookouts normally ain't gonna be popping with the potato salad. I don't wanna, I don't wanna <laughs> get in trouble with no family. Right, right. You have to think about that. Like, wait a minute. Who we Who making the, the potato, potato salad? salad? Uh, okay, I can, I can get all her nerves. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's the person you send it to. Like, all your family yeah, members yeah. in the episode, you send everybody. So they be like, wait a minute. You ain't like. <laughs> oh, get me in trouble. <laughs> right. All right. So here go the third question. Signature question. Signature question. Okay. What do you love most in life while black? Honestly, I feel like. Black people are, we are so, we are it. Like, I don't know what other word to say. Just we're, we're it. Like, you just see black people, like, having fun, being happy. You just like, I love being black. I love the community. It's not as strong, I feel like, as it has been in the past and how it should be. But just the community that we are always able to garner in whatever setting that we're in, yeah. whatever situation that it is, I feel like we could always make a home anywhere. Hey, that's what's up. Black people are imitated, but never duplicated. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Not only because... Say it again, say it again, brother. Say it again, <laughs> brother. People are imitated, but never duplicated. We are one of the most resilient communities in the world. Almost no community has gone through what we've gone through and still persevere despite that. We have created wealth in places where wealth could not be created. We have maintained communities that have been systematically destroyed, exploited. I mean, we have done things that others couldn't do. We've invented things during... At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. 
In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Enslavement. I mean, just think about how insane that is. You're enslaved. Your body is property, and you're still inventing things. You're still fighting, resisting. You're still a genius. You're still producing geniuses, people with extremely high IQs, with extremely gifted talents. I mean, that's black people. And it makes yeah. you wonder what, 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 would, what would have been if— None of that have happened if slavery wasn't been a thing. We could have been with Wakanda. Like honestly, <laughs> we're honestly, Wakanda. Right. <laughs> that's what's up. I, I completely agree with you, fellas, on that. I think that's a great, you know, thought process around that because we have been through a lot and it has been quite a resilient journey. Mm-hmm. Well, cool, cool, cool. So y'all, y'all have passed and secured y'all black cards. <laughs> just, just so you know. Okay. Um, we're gonna jump into these topics. Yes, sir. So Vince gave y'all a kind of a run-through of them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to mix them up so you can, you know, know what order we going to go, and I'm going to give you a little curveball. Got to shake it up. Mm-hmm. First question. You got eight minutes. Matter of fact, what we're going to do, yeah, we'll do seven minutes. We'll do seven minutes. And I'm going to keep time. HBCUs versus PWIs. It was a no-brainer for me. Um, just for me personally, uh, my parents both went to Howard University. So I'm a product of some Howard alum. Um, and then in my life, I've been in institutions where majority black. And then for my high school, I was in a private school. So it was mainly white students. And I think that experience alone helped me shape my decision in terms <laughs> of my college. I knew I wanted to get as far away as possible from majority white school. Um, so... For me, it was a no-brainer between HBCU and, and PWI. The support system that I feel like exists within HBCUs uh, is tremendous. I think we have Dr. Mary here as one of the, the, the greatest supporters in, in my life personally, and especially in, in a school setting. And honestly, I've, I've never had a black teacher until I came to Morehouse. So yeah. I think that, that alone should tell you just how valuable um, being at an HBCU is. Uh, I can let Jeremiah go ahead and speak on it a little bit more, too. Yeah. HBCUs allow black people to be comfortable for the first time in their lives, in many cases, because a lot of black people, um, like Trey, they come from these private schools or majority white institutions or high schools, and you just can't be yourself because you have to always put on a facade. You have mm-hmm. to always, You have to always put a mask on to mollycoddle your peers. Because if you act in a certain way, they're going to think you're um, a stereotype. They're going to be scared of you. You could get you arrested and thrown into the prison pipeline, which is you know, a story for another day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you always have to perform in a way that is um, appeasing to white people. But mm-hmm. at HBCU, you can be your truest self. You have people like Dr. Murray who see the value in you automatically. You don't have to prove yourself to him. Um, you don't have to prove your worth to him. You are automatically valued because you're a black man, because you are on a mission to succeed. HBCUs are one of the most important institutions in the world, if not the most, because they educate black people. Mm -hmm. They fundamentally go against systems because the American system was not made to educate black people. HBCUs in their own existence are a form of rebellion. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even, even still, like to that point, they build you up. And I say they build you up, and I mean it in two different lights, where you have the under-resourced uh, portions of being at an HBCU, where you have to, you got, you got to get out the mud, you know? There's going to yeah. be some dorms where you don't have AC, you know? There's a lot of dorms where you got to take the steps all the way to the fourth floor, you know? You know, elevators. So you get built up in that sense in terms of not expecting the best and, not, and having to be the best without the best resources around you. And then in terms of building up in that confidence where in my high school, I had confidence, but it wasn't built up by any of my teachers or any of the students around me. Though they, they were actually trying to break down my confidence. Whereas at an HBCU at Morehouse, that confidence is just built up. You're around black people, successful, wealthy, you know, intelligent black people in terms of your students, in terms of your professors. And you just see what you can be if you put in the right work. And we, at, compared to a PWI where there's so, so much competition, where the teachers are not looking your way. They're not, you know, asking you, you, you don't show up to class, the teacher's not caring. Yeah. You know, whereas it is a school like Morehouse, a school like Spelman, Clark, whatever HBC you want to go to, they're really, they're, they're teachers there that care, that are taking those pay cuts, that are taking the, being in an under-resourced place to build these students up to be the future. So, it, it's a no-brainer for me. Well, you know what we're going to do? This is what we're going to do. We're going to move into the next question, okay. the next topic. And you'll have a full, we'll do a full seven minutes within this topic. And since we talked about criminal justice, that's going to be the one we, we'll, we'll go into. So criminal justice reform and system-impacted prison education, can you talk about like what that means and how the bridge between education and the criminal justice system is and how you can impact it? So as we know, the prison system is more a business than truly something to rehabilitate people. And based on the pipeline, which starts in elementary school, that funnels black children and minority children into um, prisons and then uses them for cheap labor, there is no attention given to whether these people will reenter society, how well they will reenter society, and if they even really should. Because a lot of times they go to prison and they honestly, they become better criminals because they're not motivated to better be better. You know, I mean, we almost like put them in a hole and expect them to come out of it a different person, which is insane. Um, fundamentally, the connection between education and prison impacted people is that education at a, on its fundamental level allows them to reenter society with the knowledge that they didn't have um, prior to entering it. Yeah. You know, it almost gives them a second chance on life. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but it allows them per- to pursue other um, either pursue jobs, education, or other opportunities once they've re-entered society. And not only that, it affects larger society in a positive way because it decreases the amount of people who go to prison. It decreases the need for prisons. And generally, it just leads to less crime, less suffering and hardship, you know? Good optimistic view right there. Yeah, I think throughout our history, we've seen that education is power, right? There's a reason why white people were more punished for educating black folks during slavery times than for any other crime that they probably could have committed during that time. There's a reason why black people throughout our entire American history have been systemically disadvantaged, especially in our educational institutions, uh, constantly under-resourced, constantly thrown to the side. And as Jeremiah pointed out, the school-to-prison pipeline is fully intact as we see today, where... 
punitive measures are given to students, black students, black men and women and children. And, you know, it's clear that they don't want us to get educated. So I don't, I don't think that that's a coincidence. They, they realize that education is the way that we make effectual change in this country. And that's the most important tool in creating change. So with that being said, creating change in the education system is part of that process in, in prison reform. And me and Jeremiah both have had the opportunity to merge classes with um, students at uh, a prison and see this change happen in real time where we are bringing not only a, a new hope to these people in, in, in incarceration in terms of recognizing them as human beings, one, recognizing them as black men in these, in these institutions that are made to strip them of their rights and to put them back out into society so that they're coming back into that prison, making money for these corporations. So in order to stop that cycle from happening, I, I believe education is one of the most important things that needs to happen. And giving them that new sense of life and say, okay, made a mistake, whatever the case may be, now I have the opportunity to grow. And that's, that's really what education is. It's really just growth, right? So I feel like education and prison reform go hand in hand. So I have a follow-up question to that. So when you, you all were working with the um, persons that were in the prison, mm-hmm. did you walk away feeling as if those persons could compete in a college classroom? Absolutely. 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 Tell Absolutely. us about that experience and what you saw, what you gained from that experience. Every, every single day. And, you know, I, we just talked about how great Morehouse was, so I don't want <laughs> to dissuade anybody, but it, it's true. Every, students every single day complain about waking up early to go to class, having to do assignments, having to, you know, actually participate in class and raise their hands. And then you go into a setting like that where at every, every single person, every single person in that merged class participated. Every single person did the work. And you see that education is a privilege. It's not a given. It is not a given, and it is a privilege to get an education. So you definitely see that sense of urgency almost to, to gain as much knowledge as humanly possible so that they can make that change in their lives. And it, it really was a drastic difference, at least for me, to see people so passionate. I've never... It's been a long time since I've been in the classroom where I felt like every single person in that room was as passionate and as dedicated to learning as, you know, myself or as I feel like they should be because, you know, it it is a privilege to be able to gain an education such as you get at Morehouse or any other college institution, so. Not only were they superior students, but they made no excuses despite their circumstances. You know, me and Trey were just talking about this and Dr. Murray also, how they had just experienced a raid um, the previous night where all of their belongings were taken out of their room and tossed into a pile in the middle of their cell blocks. And they still were able to finish homework. They still were able to do their readings. They were still able to come to class and participate as if they hadn't, as if that hadn't happened. And then you unfortunately have students, you know, at Morehouse and other institutions who can't come to class even though they live on campus, can't wake up even though they have alarms, can't put in work even though they've been given opportunity after opportunity. And it just shows you that what we usually take for granted truly is Mm life-changing. You know, like Trey said, education is a privilege. You know, it's not to be taken lightly. It can be the difference between whether you have a good life or a life where you may honestly end up a victim of the system. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, 
it takes experiences like those that me and Trey went through to realize that because our our entire lives we've never unfortunately we've never had to go through that and it just shifts your mindset and it makes you truly appreciate people like Dr. Marie and those who have just put so much into us and put so much effort into us because you know we could easily have been incarcerated we could easily have been in those classes we could easily have been in those cell blocks but we weren't because we had people who recognized the value of education the value of taking a certain path the value of appreciating certain things in life and having access to those things. Yeah. That's great answers. Great thoughts too. And I I, I feel you. I, I my mom was a school teacher mm-hmm. and the the thought process around education is so important to help steer you into a direction that hopefully, prayerfully, does not put you on, on that path. Right. Right. But then, and I think this is a cool part about what you what you all are talking about. There's an intersection where it can become another point within someone's life who has been incarcerated. Exactly. To where that can now catapult them into the future. Exactly. And you you invest that type of time and energy into your studies and you kind of see that experience. And then you also have an obligation to to help or to make, you know, the experience of life for individuals better. And that's a cool, noble cause that y'all are on. Exactly. Cool. All right. So Next question. Um, what does it mean to be a black man today? And are black men valued by society, in your opinion? That's a good question. I think I'll answer the second question first. Um, I don't think we have ever <laughs> been valued <laughs> by... Well, yeah. What do you, what do you mean by value? Right? Are we value like in as much? How much money can you make from me? Like how how much work can I put you through? And how much profit can you bring to my you know prison industrial complex or my plantation? <laughs> and in terms of that, we've been highly coveted, you know. <laughs> but you know, I, obviously, you know, I know what you're really asking, and I don't, I don't think, I don't think we've ever black people in general have ever been valued, truly valued in this country. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think that black men have been are being valued right now. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. I would say that our value has been compensate with how much money we can generate. As mm-hmm. Trey said, I mean, we're only as valuable as, as much money as we can make other people. As soon as we don't make people any money, we're basically kicked to the curb. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, honestly, to some degree, a lot of people have fed into that, including black men. They've mm-hmm. uh, equated their worth with the amount of money they can bring in, with the amount of money they can generate. You know, it's always about working. It's always about hustling. It's always about building these businesses and doing these things. And my thing is like, well, when do we become human again? Like, when do we just be valuable as humans rather than as tools of capitalism and tools of making all this money for people? Because in my opinion, all people have value. Regardless of the money they bring in, all people have value, all life has value. But unfortunately, we've kind of corrupted, society's kind of corrupted our perception of value into thinking that somebody who makes $10 an hour is less valuable than somebody who makes $20 an hour mm-hmm. or $30 an hour. Or a billionaire is more important than somebody who only makes $100,000 or $10,000. Yeah. I'm with you on that. In, in the valuation question, and I, I want to put a spin on it. Do you think that black men 
value each other now as it relates to maybe the past? I, I would still say no. I would still say no. Um, and we were actually, we were just talking about this uh, before, before this in terms of the unity that is seen is not as strong as it was before in, in, in our past. And like, you know, the main thing I can harken back to is just the civil rights movement in terms of the unity that existed then. And we are still seeing the same issues that we saw in the 1960s and 1950s that we see today. And I, I feel like there's less unity among, amongst black men. I don't think that we are actively working to build each other up in the way that we need to. I don't think that we're working to support each other in the way that we need to. Um, and it actually goes to a, to a, a question that, you know, we're, we're going to touch upon later. So I'll, I'll probably save the majority of my thoughts um, for that. But like when we talk about issues like homophobia, like transphobia in the black community, a lot of these black trans uh, women that are, are sorry, a lot of these trans women that are being murdered and killed are black people, right? And then we have those same people from our community that's being harmed that we're not getting support from from the black men. So I I don't think I don't think we're where we should be as a society in terms of valuing black men and then black men valuing each other. Right? I'm not gonna touch on the the black on black crime because that's the the number one topic that people go to and that doesn't exist, honestly. Right. Every race kills each other the same way. It's about proximity at the at the end of the day. So I'm not gonna touch on that front, but I don't think that the unity and the support is there as it should be. Yeah, I would have to agree with Trey completely. Black people do not, black men do not value black men. We see each other's competition. It's always about beating somebody, um, getting over on somebody, tripping somebody so they fall. You can keep running. Um, unfortunately, we we've been corrupted by this. I mean, I hate to say it, but we have just soaked in the individualism that runs the United States. Like we think that it's us versus every black man, or us versus every black woman or black person. There is no unity. There is no sense of, let me help this person. We're fortunate to have people who do think that way, like Dr. Murray um, and like others at Morehouse College. But as a unit, no, there's, there's no value because a black person would sooner kill a black person than he would a white person for disrespecting him. And the reason is because you see the black person as more of an enemy to you than you do as a white person. Even though the white person is probably doing 10 things that day that are going to undermine you. And that black person... As far as you know, just being disrespectful. I mean, it's like we just have kind of abandoned, like Trey mentioned, we've abandoned that community or orientation that we seem to have cultivated during slavery and post-slavery. You know, like the black through the black church, through the civil rights movement, through all these organizations. I mean, collectivism has always been the paradigm that has worked the best for black people. Always. Individualism has never truly worked for us. Mm-hmm. So it it's upsetting that we've just moved so much past that and we've almost embraced the American way because unfortunately doing so is profitable. Mm-hmm. If you can beat somebody, that can make you more money. Competition allows you to rise up in the ranks, but what's not being recognized is you may be rising, but other person, another person has fallen mm-hmm. and his fall has just as many consequences as your rise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I just chime in on this one? Absolutely. So I think that this also is one of those questions uh, that may be generational. Yeah. And, and I will say that for me, that's what makes Morehouse 
so magical, right? Because it's the only institution in the country that's solely dedicated to training, development, ed- developing and educating black men. There's nowhere else in the country that you can go to that has um, a campus that is just filled with black men in higher education trying to achieve, right? And so for me, I value black men. I value you all. And for me, it is almost like a gift to be able to walk onto that campus and to be able to pour into you and to make you better. And I think that part of me valuing you all is because of the life lessons that I've learned being in spaces where maybe I'm the only black male and knowing that there should be other black men there. Looking at even, you know, our latest Supreme Court confirmation of Katanji Jackson and knowing that, you know, it took this long for a black woman to be on the Supreme Court. And so having the opportunity to walk onto a campus and to, you know, pour into black men, you know, part of that really does come from my life experiences and knowing that you should be there, but entry into those spaces isn't always going to be easy. It's not always going to be kind. And so for me to get you there, I have to start pouring into you now and valuing you now. Right. And I'm hoping that you all will do the same for others. And I do feel like that that happens on the campus of Morehouse. And I hope that it's happening. Um, it happens more and more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It, it's funny. Like valuation is, is a thing. And investment in time, mm-hmm. effort, energy uh, is always mm-hmm. is always the right the right investment. But when you look, when you kind of scale out. And just look at society. Right. Your perspectives kind of share this view of what it looks like. And the cool part about the way that question is structured is it's designed to kind of connect you into thinking about how do you change it? Right. How do you how do you make that transition? Right. Because I think as a black man, every generation has this obligation to to look at that question. Mm-hmm and have an impact on what that looks like for the future. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's the cool part about it. And that speaks directly to what Dr. Murray just said. Like, he's coming into this institution and building up these students. Yep. And pouring and pouring and investing to these students so that maybe five, maybe four, maybe three of them, right, Mm -hmm. go on and do the same thing for the next generation. So that, that's, that's, that, I think there's a common theme into what we're, all the topics that we've just been discussing in terms of the education, in terms of valuation and all that stuff. And it's just all about continuing that process of growth, passing yeah. that baton forward yeah. and making sure that the next generation does not have it as hard as the as what you lived through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Let's, let's move to this next question. This one is, is far funner. <laughs> <laughs> Best rapper, dead or alive? And why? This might be generational. This but is I, definitely so I'm, generational. I'm, I'm, yeah. I can't wait to hear these. <laughs> this is definitely generational. Me personally, Lil Wayne. I think Lil Wayne is the best rapper for me. I understand that's generational. I was going to say Jay-Z, but that's like more... I, I think of Jay-Z, I think more like mogul. Like... He's 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 beyond rap for me at this point. Like he's like a a mogul. 
But rap, rapping-wise, lyricism-wise, like, I can listen to a Lil Wayne song from 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and I will just catch a bar. Like, I think no one, no one has Wayne in terms of lyricism. Like, I, that's, that's just my personal best, personal best. Well, I do like the way you explained it. I <laughs> yeah. mean, you, you explained it, it well. It? Yeah. What's your favorite bar? Favorite bar? The Lil Wayne. <sighs> Safe sex is great sex. Better wear latex. Because you don't want that latex. That I think I'm latex. Yeah, that's what I would. That's what I would. Yes. Yes. That is a very hot one. Yes, you, you, you're away. You no, for sure. Bad. For sure. That was a full bar. Yeah. Full bar. For sure. Awesome. So my favorite rapper is Eminem. Okay. Um, I know that's very controversial because he's, he's the white boy in rap. But he's he, just talking about black empowerment. <laughs> black everything. He's talking about this white man. Uh, but I don't think he's the greatest rapper alive. I actually think that Rakim or Nas takes that cake. Because... Oh. You got to pick one now. Yeah, I don't know. Like, now you're in my, that's you're in my era. <laughs> I, I think Rakim, lyricism, because flow-wise, I mean, he was just, he was just transcendent. He was amazing. I mean, I think he rap over anything, personally. Like, you can give him a jazz beat and he rap over it. You know, I love Nas. I think Nas is great. I just think, and I think Nas is actually more influential, but I think that Nas uh, doesn't beat Rakim when it comes to just straight ability to rap. Um if you want to me, I can give you my favorite bar from uh, Eminem. Uh, so, favorite bar, period. Okay, favorite bar. Because uh, you gave like three answers, right? right. You, you <laughs> with Nas, okay, so my favorite bar, period. Um, and started with Eminem. Okay, I got it. Okay, okay I got it. Okay. Be bald like Jordan. I'm mouthwash because if I was on the floor, I'd swish. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Who, whose bar is that? That's Eminem's That's bar. That's Eminem. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm trying to think what, what track that was on. That's a recent one. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Because I was like, man, I, I know I've heard it before. I don't know where it's at. Okay. Nice. Nice. I, that's, that, that, for me, that question is incredibly difficult because... Like, how do you... How do you... How do you quantify that like yeah like yeah what, when what I is that? like lyricism style yeah, beat, flow flow beat. How, how you ride a beat right mm-hmm. collabo like how, right. how you put something together like it's so many different elements and it's for me it's, it's based on mood so it's like what mood am mm-hmm. I in because it's so it's such am I in a am I feeling real swagged out right now <laughs> am I feeling like I need to really work hard and grind and I'm mm-hmm. I'm feeling like you know I'm in a, in a moment where I just want to kind of relax and chill out and hear something that just is a bop or is is I mean it's so many different elements to it. So it's it's cool. And I and I when I anytime that question pops up, it's like, man, I don't even know how to answer it. Like, cause it's music is is just so it's so subjective. Yeah, like it's like, where am I right now? Mm-hmm. Like, and who can I say is the top? It's super hard for me. But cool, 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 cool. We're gonna move to the culture. What is the culture? And are we truly taking care of it in your perspective? And this is, you know, of course, beyond music. This is the black culture. Black mm-hmm. culture? Yeah. I, I think that goes back to, like, that first question when you asked, like, like how I— I forget what you said, how I feel about black people or uh, what's my favorite thing about black people. And it's like that it factor. That's the culture, right? Without black people, there wouldn't really be any culture in America. We are the culture. Mm-hmm. So in terms of what is the culture, I think it's just black people, like— 
I think we've constantly seen, whether it be from music, fashion, sports, just everything. Like, when black people do it, that's the thing now. That's the thing that everybody wants to attain. So, the culture is whatever we define it as. Are we doing a good job at keeping that culture, maintaining the culture? I think that it just depends on who you ask. Some people… Some people view it as like, oh, you got to gatekeep. You can't, you can't let these white people be coming into our ebonics, can't come in this lane, can't let them, you know, take bits and be- pieces of the culture. But then I've, I'm more of the mindset of what Jeremiah said. You can, you can try. You can try to imitate it, but you can't duplicate it. <laughs> and we're always going to be able to see who really is the pioneers of the culture and who is just riding the wave. So I think it don't, it really doesn't, Honestly, it doesn't matter what we do. People are going to do what they're going to do regardless. People are going to try to bite the culture, try to take from it. People are going to take influences from it and, and, and build their own thing. But I think right now, we, we, we are the culture. Yeah. I would have to agree. I think that black people have influenced pretty much everything. I mean, like Trey said, if black people do it, it becomes the norm pretty much for everywhere. Not just even in the country, around the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've touched pretty much every aspect of entertainment every aspect of life and culture. My, I don't so much think that it's been, it hasn't been maintained. I think that there's there's been a failure to evolve the culture. Um, I think that with anything, there has to be an evolution. There has to be a couple steps forward. And I think, unfortunately, we've been kind of stagnant in our culture. Uh, We're going to touch upon it later, but like how we still have to deal with issues of sexism. We're always degrading women in rap songs to the point where, I mean, it's just normal. Like you even have women degrading themselves based on the rap songs that are degrading them, mm-hmm. which is even more insane. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. You have homophobia. You just have so many issues embedded in the culture, unfortunately, that we fail to address and we are reluctant to address them Mm -hmm. because to some degree, we have to let some people go. But what has to be recognized is that's, that's evolution. That's what happens. You, we can't progress unless we recognize what we need to keep and what we need to let go of. So I don't think it's so much an issue of maintaining it. I just think that we really do need to reevaluate the culture. And I kind of ask, what is the culture doing for us? You know, are we simply just doing these things to have, I mean, this is different between having fun and, you know, pushing, pushing black people to the forefront. Mm. You know, our culture should be just as much about entertainment as it should be about resistance, mm-hmm. about rebellion, about breaking down the systems that continue to oppress us to this very day. That's what the culture has to be about. It can't just be NFL. It can't just be rappers. It can't just be movies. It has to be resistance. It has to be fighting systems, holding people accountable. It has to be about our liberation. Otherwise, we might as well just be jesters. I agree. And like, if we keep it on the music front, that's where I can kind of see where you, you, there's always this like narrative of like, oh, heads hating on the young people and all that stuff. And like not, that not being able to get in, in line with that evolution process. But then you can, I can kind of understand that where if we talking about a music standpoint, like you can name artists like 
Jay-Z, like Tupac, like Biggie, they had their songs where it's like turn up music, like you know, talking about all the stuff that we normally hear. But then they also had that holistic type of music where we're really talking about the issues that 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 plague us. And then we can really only name, I can like, oh, Kendrick? J. Cole and Kendrick. J. Cole? Maybe two other ones who aren't, and right? none of which are, none of which are as big as, as mainstream as exactly. them. Where, well, maybe. Uh, <laughs> Little baby had one song. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm never yeah. that one. One song. I mean, that's great. That's how, many, right how many other songs do we got? Talk about throwing money, stripping, exactly. dog, in, in the oh, club, yeah. shooting people, shooting killing people, people, drugs. You know? So mm-hmm. that has become that, in a sense, has what the society has tried to paint as our culture. Yeah, where that's where I can kind of see the the pushback against the the type of evolution that we're going on. So I think, you know, it's, it's our job to, it's our job, the younger generation, mm-hmm. to maintain that culture and to push that culture into a, a more positive and more, you know, a, more, more culture that is of change and not of just, of, you know, being, remaining stagnant. And it's not even like we're saying you can't have turn-up music or you can't have party music. It's just saying, like, black people, when you think of black people, it shouldn't be guns, drugs, disrespecting women. Like, that shouldn't be the norm. Right. One, it shouldn't be the norm for us. It just shouldn't be the norm for us because that's your mother. That's your sister. That's your brother. So is your brother, oh, so is your brother's value based on selling crack or weed? Is your mother a bitch? Is she a hoe? At what age does she become a hoe? Right. You know, these are all questions that we need to be asking <laughs> ourselves. And I, I cannot take credit for that Quote, that's Dr. Ilya Davis who said that. <laughs> um, big proponent of not using the N-word and the B-word. I am, as, I am myself. But we really just need to interrogate, like, what parts of our culture are beneficial to mm-hmm. us and what parts aren't? Mm-hmm. What parts are perpetuating our oppression and what parts aren't? You know, why is it corny that you talk about loving your wife and wanting to do good in the community? Why is that corny? You know, right. why is it considered authentic black to want to kill everybody and sell drugs and destroy your own community. Why is that the unauthentic right, that, version? That's the real. Of black? That's that's exactly. the real stuff. Why is that real? Right. What's real about destroying the community you were born in instead of uplifting it? What's real about feeding into white America's pockets by selling drugs to your uh, peers and essentially just allowing yourself to be thrown in prison? Like what a part? What part about that is authentic? You know, and that's where the culture culture needs to shift. We've done so much good. Why would we want our norm to be something so violent, so vile, so destructive? It makes no sense. There has to be that balance, I think, at the end of the day. Because we could say all this right now, but when I go home, <laughs> I'm about to hop in the shower. I'm about to put on some little baby. You know? Turn up. But it turn up. But at the same time, there needs to be that other hand of what, what is really going to be beneficial to us for the future, not just for right now. What is not going to put money in your pocket right now, but what is something that you can look back on and say, okay, I, I made a positive impact with everything that I put out into the world, all the stuff that I did to, to contribute to the culture. Where is the positive impact? What message am I leaving at the end of the day? How am I training the next generation of people that's going to come behind me to follow in my footsteps and to continue that, that push? Yeah. That's what's up. I, I kind of, I like that too, because, Culture is shaped by experiences mm-hmm. and the younger generations really shape what culture is looked at. Mm-hmm. And um, it does have to evolve. It, it does have to have a level of change for, for the good and sometimes for the bad. It, it, you know, it fluctuates. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's many dimensions of culture. Yeah, I mean, or, or 
it's many dimensions of our culture as it relates to perception of black people, black men, black women, that not only we create and, and, and you know, perpetuate a- across the world, but also that we have that is only uniquely to us. Mm. And I think that it, you all have a good thought process around the future, what that looks like, which is cool. Cool. So, so we're going to jump into the next question. What about sexism and homophobia in the black community? I don't understand it. I, I don't understand it. I don't understand how we are a community that has been plagued more than, I, I, I only say like Native Americans has been gone through, you know, as much as we've gone through as black people. And that's because they like 10 of them, 25 of them. <laughs> the white people didn't kill all of them. So just how we can live through so many oppressed eras and just from legislative points, from a social point, just everything. And then continue to do that to a community that has as much has much say in their identity as we do as black people. Where I, being gay, being part of the LGBT community is not a choice, right? That's part of who you are as a person. So why would you oppress somebody for a decision that they make that has absolutely nothing to do with you? Nothing to do with you. Who you decide to love, who you decide to care for has no effect on anything that I'm doing. But I do feel like that is still a tool of white oppression, right? Mm-hmm. That Agreed. that literally white slave masters emasculated the the black man slave. And that I think is a direct a direct effect of of that process. But that doesn't mean that we are excused from perpetuating that that system of oppression on other people, right? So I I believe that there's a level of understanding of where this this mindset comes from. And understanding the history behind this, in, in terms of like why why do I why do I think that way, right? Like why do I have to say no homo after everything that sounds even remotely you know homosexual, right? Why why do I have to make that so clear that oh no 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 I'm not I'm not like that, yeah. right? But if a white person were to say the n word, you get so oh that guy got to be fired, that guy got to be, but you're doing the same thing, you're doing the same thing. So I I personally don't understand it. And you know, I, I'll pass it off to Jeremiah, but we can we can talk about this yeah. one for a minute too, because we both go to Morehouse, yeah. right? So we we see this on an everyday basis in terms of being in an all male space and having to deal with this um, from a, a minute level to a to you know a, a grand extreme level. Yeah, it makes no sense. Um, and unfortunately, what's not being recognized is that until women are liberated, until our LGBTQ plus siblings are liberated, black people won't be liberated. Exactly. Because if the most oppressed cannot have liberation, none of us can. None of us truly can. Um, and like Trey said, it makes no sense because we've been through so much. So why would we then inflict that type of harm on people? Not only that, there are black people, there are black people, women are black. There are black people in the LGBTQ plus uh, community. Why are we always acting as if they are apart from us? Mm-hmm. As if there is some, as if they've been precluded from blackness because of their identity. You know, it's this desire, I think, and it's an issue with humans in general, but we're always trying to divide each other. We're always trying to see who's better, who's worse, you know, who deserves more freedom, rights, uh, attention than the next person. And I think that 
until we recognize that women are black. Black women are both women and black. They are a part of our community just as much as black men, that our LGBTQ plus siblings are black, that they're just as a part of us as any, anyone else. We will never progress fundamentally as a community. Like Trey said, why do you care who somebody loves? As long as it's two consenting adults, and as long as it's two consenting adults, and there's no domestic abuse, you should not care. Who somebody is having sex with, you should not care unless you have a kink. Right. In which case, <laughs> well, you're going to have to go to your therapist about that. <laughs> um, but we care so much about things that don't matter. We are ignoring poverty. We are ignoring the prison pipeline. We're ignoring all these fundamental issues that have much more effect on us than who somebody is dating, marrying, or having sex with. That is nobody's business, and it never should be, unless they make it your business. But if they don't, they should be allowed to live. Every person has humanity and value based on their humanity, not based on their identity. Until we progress past the need to see value based on identity, we will never be free. And, and, and the crazy thing is, a lot of the pioneers for Black liberation have been people from the LGBT community, have been Black women. So they have constantly, constantly had our back. And when I say our, I mean the, the heterosexual Black men exactly. and women who have seen the benefits from their, their, their fight and then have constantly oppressed them and not supported them in the same way that they supported us. So it doesn't make sense. All, all the way around, it doesn't make any sense to me. Without the Black woman... We would not we would have, be, we would have, we shit. would have nothing. We would, we have would have almost nothing. have nothing. Black women have consistently come to bat for black men more than we have for them. Mm-hmm. And until we reciprocate, we're going to always be, we're going to always be oppressed. We're going to always be niggers. Mm-hmm. We're going to always be victims of the system. You cannot gain liberation through oppression. You just can't. Because it will always come back to bite you. It will always be perpetuated against you. Because there's always somebody higher on the totem pole. So until you eliminate the totem pole entirely, it's just going to keep happening. Mm, Yeah. I got some perspective on that. Wow. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. So we're we're coming into that closing time. And it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you fellas. Um, I got one final question. And this is is more of a, a question for you to kind of think about the future. So if you were, if you use this microphone today, right, and you had the opportunity to talk to every black man, woman, in our entire society, what would you tell them your outlook or perspective on the future is for us? The future is as bright as we want it to be. Is 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 everything that we want to see happen is as attainable as we are willing to work for it. So you you have to take that look in the mirror and figure out what what it is that you are passionate about. What it is that you feel like you can make a change in and do as much as you possibly can do to effectuate that change in whatever capacity that is. So whether that's, you know, with me and Jeremiah, that's with law, then you need to you know, study for your LSAT. Make sure you're going to classes. You know, make sure that you are performing at the highest level so that you can have as many opportunities as all these other white people that are doing half the work have to make the change that they don't even want to make, right? And that's across all fields. So really, the future is whatever you want it to be. You just have to work for it. 
I would say you have value and no one can take that away from you. But it's time for you to assert your value. Mm-hmm. Like Trey said, the future is only as bright as it will be based on how we act. Mm-hmm. It's honestly time for us to see the value in ourselves, see the value in our power, see the value in our collectivism, see the value in our cooperation with one another. We as a people cannot move forward if we are not willing to evaluate where we are now, where we could be, what we should be doing, the things that we haven't been doing and have been doing, and just take an overall under and just stop being so at war with one another, honestly. Because as much as we divide ourselves, the country's still getting richer. White people are still looking at us as animals. They're still making money. They're segregating us in communities, using eminent domain to snatch up uh, houses from us to gentrify our neighborhoods. They are doing everything in their power to keep us down. So why are we perpetuating our own oppression? Why are we feeding into it? Why are we wasting our power? This last election, we showed how powerful we can be. We can choose who represents us, and we can hold them accountable. But we have to want to do that. We have to want to be better. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, and I'm not saying it's fair. And I recognize all the issues that we have to deal with on multiple fronts, within the community, and outside. But if we are going to make a better future for our children, our grandchildren, we have to at least try. That's what those who were enslaved did. They could have been selfish. They could have said, this is what we're going to be. This is what we're always, this is what we are. This is what we're always going to be and given up. But they didn't. They recognized that the future was dependent upon how they acted. And they were motivated and they took initiative and they did it. And now is our time to do it. The torch has been passed to us. Are we going to Keep it bright, or we're gonna let it fizzle out. Yeah. That 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 is a future Morehouse man. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, well, first, I want to say thank you for for blessing our audience with these amazing <laughs> words. And in closing, I would love to give you all the opportunity, like we do with every guest, to let them know how they can get in contact with you, reach out, connect with you. Uh, so um, I do have a website, jddavis.com, J-A-Y. D D A V I S dot com. Um, that's the best way to find out more about me. But honestly, if you want to co- contact me, just hit up Dr. Murray. Or your LinkedIn account. <laughs> oh, yes. Or my uh, LinkedIn account, which is just <laughs> Jeremiah D. Davis. Okay. And gotcha. that, w- that would be the best way to get in contact with me as well. Uh, my name is spelled T R E N A J M O N G O, Trey Najamongo. Uh, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, all my contact information is there as well, so I'm easily accessible on there. Cool, 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 cool. But I just right. want to say thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. This yes, thank you so much. When Dr. Murray told me that I was going to be on a podcast, I'm like, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so and you definitely, definitely came with the questions today. So definitely, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Absolutely, absolutely. The pleasure is ours, absolutely. Brother? The only thing I want to say is thank you for having us on. And, you know, I got to say that I think I learned something, and these are my students. I, I felt like they taught me something, you know. The, and, and I think that's the the beauty. Going back to the very first question about HBCUs and why they are so important, because it's that one moment in time, that one little four year span, that you get to just focus on your academics without having to worry about race, the color of your skin, and all of that. You get to just truly be in the moment and be the best that you can be without all of the baggage and things that come with 
being Black in the larger sense of community, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Wild Black Family, another dope episode in the books. Peace. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.